0: This is Emmanuel Today, Taking Steps Toward God's Possible in Your Life. On today's program, our very special guest, NFL running back William Green, shares about his very challenging childhood growing up in the hard-knock town of Atlantic City, where he lost both his parents by the age of 14. Yet. Through it all, God became everything to him. Let's join Dr. Nate Rouge for the introductions right now.
1: Today, our guest speaker is not new to Emmanuel. His story, which he'll share, is pretty powerful. He, uh, he was an All-American, first-round draft pick, and has had an incredible career, and he's got a bunch of kids he'll share about. But most of all, he's a friend. he's my friend. Would you welcome back to Emmanuel William Green. All right. Thanks, brother All right. Well, I am glad I'm blessed to be here with you guys this morning. So standing in Cleveland Brown Stadium, back when we used to win football games. Fans are excited, the stadium is rocking, it's cold outside, and I walk up, before I walk onto the field, and I promise you everybody's so loud that you you could feel the whole arena. It shook like thunder. Boom, boom, boom. The closer we got to the field, the louder they scream, the more the stadium vibrates. I run out onto that football field. Man, sunlight hits my face. Smell the fresh cut grass in the fall. Television cameras follow you everywhere you go. So we strap it up, it's time to play ball. Now this isn't any ordinary Sunday. You see, this is a big Sunday because if we win this football game, guess what happens? The Browns go to the playoffs. Now we got some young people in here, they hadn't seen that happen in their whole lifetime, but This year, we got a chance to go to the playoffs. We just got one problem. Playing a team called the Atlanta Falcons. And at that time, the Falcons, they they got an okay quarterback by the name of Michael Vick. Some of y'all might have heard of that dude before, right? He's a phenomenal phenomenal quarterback. He's in the same boat as us, okay? If you win the football game, you go to the playoffs, you lose, you go home, the season is over with. So the Falcons, they had the football first. I'll never forget. And I'm watching these dudes walk to the line of scrimmage, right? Here comes Michael Vick. You know, he's a pretty boy, man. He's got his visor on. He's got a towel hanging out. He's got Vaseline all up and down his arms. (laughs) It's like homeboy glowing walking up the field, man. (laughs) But hold on. In front of him is his offensive line. I promise you, the Falcons had one of the biggest offensive lines in the whole league that year, and I'm watching these dudes walk to the line of scrimmage. I mean, big, wiggly, jiggly guys, right? (laughs) Here comes Michael Vick. He walks to the line of scrimmage. He gets underneath the center. Blue 80, blue 80, go. He takes that ball, he starts to do what he does best. I mean, this guy's throwing the ball all around the field. He's jumping over guys into the end zone. Michael Vick at his best, very good quarterback. Our game plan was simple. My coach said, William, listen, you find those five big offensive linemen, and you run behind them as hard and as fast as you can. So that's exactly what I do. Vick scores, I score. Brown score, Falcons score. We finally get to the fourth quarter of the ball game, okay? Now, I'm having a pretty good day, man. I'm over 100 yards, about two touchdowns in, but we're still losing by about three points, okay? So, we had the ball under two minutes left in the game. In this situation, you want to save the clock, so you want to throw the football. My coach calls a timeout. He pulls us to the sideline. He looks at us. He says, gentlemen, they're expecting us to throw the football. We're not going to throw the ball. We're going to run the ball. I didn't say this out loud, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, man, that's why the Browns lose all their football games. (laughs) Coach wants to run the ball, but here's the bad part, okay? I'm the running back. That means I'm the dude that has to carry the football. So if I don't get a first down or a touchdown, these people are going to run me out of the city of Cleveland. Like, I love Cleveland. I love the fans, but I tell you what, man. They're serious fans. So you got to understand, it's a short timeout. I'm in this debate with my coach. Coach, are you sure you want to run the ball? Green, get on the field. We're running the ball. Coach, if I don't get a first down or a touchdown on this play, I promise you, those fans are going to kill me. That man grabbed me by my helmet. He looked at me in my eyes. He said, I know, son, so get your butt on the field. (laughs) Get the first down. So I'm standing back there, it's like everything's in slow motion, man. I'm scanning the defense, man, and I check out the left defense in the right corner, and I look up, and I promise you, man, I've seen some big men in my life, don't get me wrong, okay, played in the NFL, but for some reason on this play, the Falcons, they changed that middle linebacker. I look up, and for the first time in my life, I see one of the biggest meanest, I don't know how to put this, this is not so handsome dudes I've ever seen before in my life. <laughs> I'll be honest, I put my head down, I'm thinking to myself, he's going to kill me. <laughs> Quarterback starts his cadence. Blue 80, blue 80, go. I take my zone read, to get the football, I juke one defender, I juke the next guy. I'm going through the line of scrimmage. And as I'm going through the line of scrimmage, one defensive lineman reaches up. Boom! He hits the back of my foot. And it's like, I'm going down in slow motion. It's like, no. (laughs) But I finally put my hand down. And I put my hand down when I pop up, to my surprise is nothing in front of me but green grass. About 70-plus yards in the end zone. I take off down the field. 40, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown. Browns in the playoffs, yeah. We made it. Browns make it to the playoffs for the first time in a long time, and unfortunately, we haven't been back since. But <laughs> what I remember most about that time in my life is it's called Run, William, Run, but not so much running from my opponents on the field, but I begin to run from myself. You say, what do you mean run from yourself? I remember walking in that locker room. I take my helmet off and my shoulder pads and and I sit down and I watch everybody coming off the field. Everybody's excited. We're going to the playoffs. I'll never forget the owner comes up and gives me a big hug. My left tackle, Ryan Tucker. Tuck was so excited. I mean, Tuck's about 6'8", 340 pounds. He comes and picks me up out of my locker. (sighs) Good job, Green! Boom, he like puts me back down. All I could do was sit there and think to myself, man, what in the world am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? You see, my entire life I told myself, if I make it to the NFL, if I get that money, if I get that fame, it's going to be the thing to take the pain away. You see, I remember when I was 12 years old and my father, he died of AIDS. He was a heroin addict and a drug dealer. Remember, my father dies of AIDS, and my mother's crying. I'm thinking, Mom, it'll be okay. It'll be all right. She's crying and weeping, and I said to her, Mom, guess what? One day, I'll be in the NFL. I'll get us out of this place. One one year after my father passes away, my mother dies of that same disease. And I remember looking at my little brother while he was crying. They said, "Don't, don't worry, man. One day, I'll be in the NFL. I'll protect you. And I forget what it felt like when... They're pulling my little brother out of my arms, and he's screaming, where are they taking me? Don't worry, one day I'll be in the NFL. I'll be back for you. Went back for my brothers and sisters, made sure they went to college, made sure they had a chance in life, and here I sat. Here I sit with all the things I thought I ever wanted, money and fame and all those things, and I feel more hurt, more alone, and more depressed than I ever felt before in my entire life. William, what are you talking about? Let me tell you guys something. The Bible is very clear. It gives many examples of different people, different men, women, sons, daughters, kings, princes, people who put their trust and their hope in man and the things of the world. It lets them down every single time. I was one of those people Money and fame wouldn't take the pain away, no touchdowns wouldn't take the pain away. I don't know who I'm talking to today. I don't know what you think that thing is is gonna make you happy. Maybe that relationship, maybe that promotion, maybe when I get that degree, when I get that job, when I can live in that house, when I can send my children off to that school, but I'm just gonna tell you, the Bible's very clear about it. The only thing we're to put our trust and our hope in is in Him and in the things above. So what did I try to do? I started to do what so many people do all the time. Some of us may be doing it right now, man. We get good at hiding it. We know how to pretend. But we try to reach to numb the pain in different ways, in all different types of ways. For me, that was a lifestyle of partying, man. My first year in the NFL partying, fights, DUI, suspensions, arrested, getting stabbed. My life was becoming a mess because I'm trying to numb the pain. I was a good football player. They cleaned me up and put me on the field and scored touchdowns, but my life was being destroyed. Listen, if you guys don't remember anything I say today, remember there's one very important part. I know if I would have left the world at that time, God would not have looked at me and said, William, you know what? Your life wasn't fair. You come on into heaven with me. He's not going to look at you and say, you know what? It wasn't right. It was happened. You did the best with what you had. You come on in with me. He's not going to say, you know, you got this scale when you're good. outweighed your bad. You're not a murderer or a rapist or a drug dealer. You come in with me. If everybody who thinks that just being their best is going to be good enough, it's not going to be enough. And I'm going to tell you why your best is not going to be enough. Because he gave his very best. He gave his only begotten son to come to this earth to be beaten, to be tortured, to be stripped naked, to be hung on a tree. For people who can go through their whole life and try to fill the void of their heart with everything except for him. I brought my son here with me today. And I couldn't imagine sending my son to a place to be tortured like this and tormented. And I turned my back on my son. And four is all said and done. My son looks up at me. It says, Father, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because son, your innocent blood, you being bent on the cross right now, your pain, your torture, your torment, is the only thing that's gonna fit their heart, is the only thing <clears throat> it makes the shape. And it fits a heart. That fits pretty good me, right? I'm just going to tell you, there's a great price that was paid for your life. Great price that was paid for your life. You know the guy that taught everybody how to do this, this feat of strength here? There's a guy by the name of Bill. This Bill, great, powerful testimony. I'll share it real brief. Man, before he gave his heart to Christ, he was just a wild man for the world. But once he did, his life was forever changed just like me. When I learned to fill my heart with God, how did I fill my heart with God? There was a time in my life where I learned what it was to truly repent and believe. What I mean by repent and believe, guys, is not being strong enough, right, to turn away from all my sinful things on my own because I used to try that all the time and I could never get to 180 degrees. I'm talking about to understand that if I repent and turn my heart to God, once I turn my heart to God and truly receive his spirit, his spirit inside of me gives me the ability to turn from those things. And that's what I felt my heart would. This guy named Bill was the same way. In and out of prison, he gave his heart to God. He became an evangelist. Bill, he had a little girl. Her name was Jessica. And Bill would always do this skit with his little girl. So he would take little pretty Jessica, grab her, put her up on his shoulders. Now, Jessica's probably about five years old. Long, curly, blonde hair, just like our father had. Long, curly, blonde hair. But I promise you, Jessica's a lot prettier than Bill was, okay? Let's put it that way. So he would put her up on the shoulder. And they got the curly, blonde locks flowing. And little Jessica, they would get in like a crowded room like this or like an elevator or some park. And she would look down as she sat on her daddy's shoulders. And she would look down and say, Daddy, should you tell him or should I tell him? I don't know, Jessica, should you tell him or should I tell him? Daddy, should you tell him or should I tell him? I don't know, Jessica, should you tell him or should I tell him? Daddy, should you tell... It's like right now, okay, what do you want to tell us, right? She would say, okay, you see my daddy? He used to be a wild man for the devil. Now he's a wild man for Jesus. Hold on. (laughs) Jessica would say... My daddy used to do dope deals, now he does hope deals. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica's five years old, she don't know what a dope deal is, right? (laughs) But that was their way of winning people to the Lord. Daddy, should you tell him or should I tell him? And Bill would tell his testimony, right? we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, our testimony, what Christ has done on the cross. Let me tell you how God can change your life and save your life. And that's what they would do. Jessica gets sick. She comes down with a bowel of cancer. Everybody's praying. Poor little Jessica, the little evangelist, this girl's seven years old, and, and the Lord is using her to win souls. She's laying on that hospital bed. All of that curly, blonde hair is gone. Tubes coming in and out of her body. Bill's there, family members all around. Little Jessica leans up out of that hospital bed. She says, Mommy, Daddy, I hate the devil. She says, Satan did this to me. She says, but by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. Bill says she goes on to close her eyes and she goes on to be with the Lord. She died that day in that hospital room. Or really she, the life. Everybody's crying, everybody's upset. You know the one person in the room that is giving everyone hugs, saying it'll be okay? It's Bill, the guy that was in and out of prison, the guy that was involved in motorcycle gangs and bar fights, the guy that used to be so wild. He's giving everyone hugs and saying it'll be okay. You know why? Bill put it plainly. He said, I don't weep the way this world weeps. I know my daughter's in a better place. Let me tell you something. About six months ago, my little brother that I love so much, the one thing he loved growing up, he loved dogs and he loved motorcycles. About six months ago, he died on his motorcycle. I had to go to the funeral. I did his eulogy. I shared the gospel, and I said the same way, I don't weep the way this world weeps because I know there was a time in my brother's life he turned his heart to God. (laughs) To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. I don't weep the way this world weeps. In closing, very simple. The day's winding down, and Bill says, he finds a nurse, listen, can I just go see my daughter one last time? So they go down to the morgue area of the hospital, and the nurse, very gracious, you know, they're very familiar with Bill and his wife in and out of the hospital quite a bit. Walk down the basement in a long, cold corridor, and she gets to the morgue door, And she opens up that door, and she kind of shows Bill Jessica's body, points to the body, and she stands over by the door. Bill walks over to little Jessica, scoops her up, and, man, he just starts to have this regular conversation with his little girl. All that curly blonde hair is gone. Jessica, I know you're not in pain anymore. I know you're not hurting. I can't wait to see you again. I want you to tell Jesus I said hello and I love him so much. And the nurse over at the door, she just can't believe what she sees. She's watching Bill have a conversation with God after his daughter died. And she finally has to say something. She says, sir, I I don't understand. How do you have that type of faith in your God? Sir, how do you have that type of faith? We bring people down here all the time. Their loved ones have died, their parents, their sons, their daughters. How do you have that type of faith, sir? And Bill's still standing over there, holding little Jessica's body. Looks over at the nurse, looks down at little Jessica, and he says, Jessica, should you tell her or should I tell her? Led that lady to the Lord right there in the morgue at the hospital. Should you tell her? Or should I tell her? That's the name. Should you tell him? Or should I tell him that life is short. Should you tell him or should I tell him that death is sure? Should you tell him or should I tell him that sin is the cause, but only Christ is the cure? Life is short. death is sure, sin is the cause, Christ is the cure. The only thing that matters this morning is do you have that cure? I'm not asking you how many times you go to the church. I'm not asking you how much you give an offering. I'm not asking you how good you are in the community. I'm asking you, was it a moment in your life that you truly repented and believed? Did you turn with your heart, your mind, and your soul? You received the Spirit of God on the inside of you, He lives inside of you, He's real. Do you have the cure? In just a second, I'm going to challenge you to talk about how we truly receive that cure. But some of you are saying, William, why do I need that? Why why do I really need that? And I'm going to tell you why. We all need to accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift he's given us is eternal life, is salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, William, man, how do I receive that? Very plain. If you confess with your mouth and truly believe in your heart, Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart his father has raised him from the dead. And the Bible says that you shall be saved. It's not about trying to scare anyone. Because the reality is God has a great plan and purpose for your life. He loves you so much. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He wants to show you how to be a husband, show you how to be a father, deliver you from drugs, change your life. He's a provider, protector. He has all those great things for you, but I'm just convicted to let everyone know, hey, if you don't receive all those great things he has for you here on earth, for all eternity you will be separated from him. And anywhere the light is not and the darkness reigns, that's not where you want to be. type of people that i meet in just a second i'm gonna challenge you to receive this great gift the salvation is free gift but the first type of person that i meet that keeps them away is that person that says you know what william man i'm I'm still young i got a lot of things i want to do i don't want to be a christian yet man i'm still young a lot of things i want to do i'll do that tomorrow Some may say you know what man I, i gotta get cleaned up first i gotta Get out of this affair that I'm in first, or I gotta gotta stop using these drugs, or alcohol, or or this gambling addiction, or this pornography thing I'm caught up with. I gotta stop all these things first, I'll do that tomorrow. See, if, if you could do it on your own, if we were able to do it on our own, he wanted to send his son to do what he came here to do. He wants you to come as you are. He doesn't want you to say tomorrow. So many people say, I'll do it tomorrow, but your family needs you today. Your wife needs you today, your husband needs you today, your children need you today, tomorrow. Let me tell you something, I can imagine a demon's favorite word in hell is tomorrow. When do we get out of this place? Tomorrow. When does the pain end? Tomorrow. But tomorrow never comes, because today is the day of salvation. Today's the day. other person we meet, I meet all the time, I'm already good enough. I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. Man, I, I gotta, listen, I never try to question anyone's salvation, but the thing is, if the, if the Lord lives in your heart and His Spirit lives in your heart, you know it lives in your heart. So you're not feeling convicted at all right now. But I meet so many people, man, I, I'm okay. I, I, you know, I, I know God has a place for me. I'm, I, I'm good enough. And Jesus talks about those type of people, and he puts it very plainly. And it's almost as if you can see these people as if they're about to get thrown into the lake of fire, damned into hell, and they're talking to him. They're talking to Jesus, and they're saying, Lord, Lord, pleading. And Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. He said, on that day, they shall say to me, pleading, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons? And done all these, the Bible says, I like to say these good Christian things. And the Bible says, he will plainly say, depart from me, I never knew you. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you don't wake up tomorrow, you're going to a real place called heaven? Are you in here today and you're trying to get things fixed? You've been trying for so long you can't do it. I'm going to tell you he's the answer. His yoke is light. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. But it's got to be a moment you open up the door of your heart and receive him in. Here's what I want to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed. That's you here today. You need that deliverance. You need that true healing. Here's what I want to say. One more thing before I with His invitation, I don't know what you think and I don't know what you believe, but I know one thing to be absolutely true. Everyone remember this: we are all eternal beings. Which means one day when you leave this earth, you will go somewhere for all eternity. The Bible says that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord.
0: You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers by visiting EmmanuelCC.org. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel today. You can learn more about Emmanuel and enjoy other messages by checking out EmmanuelCC.org. Emmanuel Sunday services can be seen live every week at 9 and 11 a.m. at emmanuelcc.org.